You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Verse 1, and can be paid, found on page 963. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark, she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not, was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw and believed. For they did not know, did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. This is the word of the Lord. Please take a seat. Here's what I know about this morning. Here's what I know about every single one of us here this morning. Uh, Even if you are a follower of Jesus who delights in him, who believes the truth of the resurrection, you're not yet experiencing the height of happiness that God wills for you today. Likewise, if you're here this morning, you're not, you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. You are not yet experiencing height of happiness, of joy that God wills for you this morning. Even if you're a kid this morning who is now like 50% chocolate, (laughs) even you are not yet experiencing this day with the fullness of joy that God wills for you. This is the greatest of all days. This is our greatest celebration. It's the Red Letter Church Day. I love what the, the biblical uh, scholar N.T. Wright, Tom Wright, what he says about Easter, and he sort of points the finger at us as Anglicans and can speak to us as a former bishop. Here's, here's what he says about Easter. Easter is about the wild delight of God's creative power! Exclamation point. Not very Anglican, perhaps, But at least we ought to shout hallelujahs instead of murmuring them. 
Easter is about the real Jesus coming out of the real tomb and getting God's real new creation underway. It ought to be an eight-day festival with champagne served after morning prayer, or even before, with lots of alleluias and extra hymns and spectacular anthems. If Lent is a time to give things up, Easter ought to be a time to take things up. Champagne for breakfast again? Well, of course. This is our greatest festival. Take Christmas away, and in biblical terms, you lose two chapters at the front of Matthew and Luke and nothing else. Take Easter away, and you don't have a New Testament. You don't have a Christianity. As Paul says, you are still in your sins. This is our greatest day. This is the foundation for everything we believe. This is Resurrection Sunday. And so to help us, I hope, this morning, get into the mood, you might want to stop by the bottle shop on the way home and get some champagne or just some sparkling grape if that's your thing. But either way, to get us into the place where we can experience some of the joy that God wills for us today, I want to just look at Easter again and rather get right, getting right into the narrative, which is what we tend to do year after year, working our way through one of the eyewitness accounts. The way I want to do it this year is just by taking an ancient uh, triumvirate, an ancient set of three kind of principles, which are called transcendentals. These are uh, the three transcendentals of, of uh, truth and goodness and beauty. These are not exclusively Christian concepts. These have existed since ancient Greek philosophy. Plato refers to these. They find their way into Chinese philosophy. It's sort of a, a global and universal experience of humans. And they're called transcendentals for that reason. They exist whether you believe in them or not. They exist outside of your experience. These are truths of the universe that echo through time and space. Truth goodness, beauty. Now, I think these things are important because these are things that are revealed to us in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so that's all I want to do is just take a look at the resurrection again through this lens of truth and of goodness and of beauty. So beginning with truth. And this is foundational to the resurrection story and it's essential if you're going to experience the kind of joy that God wants you to experience this morning. The idea that the resurrection is itself truth. It's good to remember this whenever we come to Easter that essentially the first Christians, Jesus' disciples, didn't come up with a belief system they didn't contrive something to believe in. They had an experience that they saw with their eyes and felt with their hands and heard with their ears. This was something they experienced. I remember, for some reason, this sticks in, your, in my mind, but in year seven, at Easter in year seven, my best friend, who I just thought was the coolest kid on earth, his name was Jared. He was a skateboarder and a surfer and just, and like, had detention every week. It was just, he was like the pinnacle for me. 
And I remember when we came around to Easter, I went to a Baptist school, and so we at least kind of did, you know, mentioned Easter. Um, each year it came around. I remember him saying to me, and I can even see us in, outside of our lockers, his was above mine, which was like representative of the hierarchy. I was very much under his uh, leadership. But he said to me, you know that Easter is just made up by a bunch of guys. The whole thing was just made up. They were just looking to get rich. And that kind of challenged me at the time because up to that point I'd grown up in a Christian family. I kind of just took for granted that what the Bible said about Jesus' death and resurrection was true. But here was this guy who was very influential, uh, for better or worse, telling me that it was just some guys made it up. He hasn't, he's not the only one who uh, has made this assertion, of course. To this day, and maybe this is you here this morning, you know, it's tempting to believe, well, how much do we really know about death and resurrection? It seems like a pretty far-fetched idea. Is this just some kind of fairy tale? Is this some kind of attempt by a bunch of guys to get famous, to get rich, to make a name for themselves? first thing to be clear about is these guys, these men and women, followers of Jesus, didn't come up with a belief system. They didn't come up with something to believe. They, they had an experience of something they saw. I think that one of the reasons we can be assured of the truth of the resurrection is because really, and this is a good counter to, to Jared's argument, I didn't know it in year seven, but I know it now. If you just look at it logically, if we just try to be reasonable for a moment and forget our, uh, our presuppositions, either for or against the resurrection, it, it's pretty clear to see that these guys, when it comes to motive, they had no motive for coming up with this idea that Jesus was raised from the dead. First of all, and we know this from scholarship into the history of the day, there was no expectation in Judaism, no expectation of a dying and rising Messiah. Nothing. So it's very difficult for a group of people to come up with an absolutely unique, unprecedented idea. That tends not to happen. Even our most creative minds always are building on ideas that they have absorbed in their own lifetime. These guys had no idea, no expectation of a dying and rising Messiah. For them to say Jesus has risen it would sound absurd, and it did indeed sound absurd. This was not a great way to start a new movement, to make a name for yourself, unless you want to make the name for yourself that you're a moron or that you're crazy. There's also the fact that, quite contrary to what Jared told me at the time, these guys did not get rich as a result of coming up with this crazy new idea of the resurrection. In fact, they lost everything. Everything. We are looking this Easter at the, the account of John, one of Jesus' three best friends. John calls himself in his gospel the, the disciple that Jesus loved. And uh, he's the one who wrote the account that Graham read for us today. And I'll refer to him and both his gospel and his letters and his uh, great book of Revelation in this talk this morning. But he is the only one who made it to an old age. Jesus told him, you're going you're gonna to live to an old age. Everyone else, all the other disciples, all of his other 
first century apostles were killed in gruesome ways because of their belief in the resurrection of Jesus. John just kept dodging them. If you, if you read the church tradition, it's funny. Like, they try and boil him alive in oil, and he just doesn't die, and they try... Uh, um, they, or they eventually, they just exile him to a, an, an island and say, we'll just leave him there to die, and that's where he gets this vision of revelation. Like, he's just impossible to kill. Everyone else, though, they get killed in gruesome ways. There's nothing to gain. In fact, there's everything to lose. Paul is a great example of this, someone who was revered and respected as a, as a religious leader of his day, as a persecutor and killer of Christians, then becomes a Christian and ends up being killed for his faith. This is no way to get ahead. And actually, I think in my mind, in the minds of many people, underscores the truth of the claim. If it's not true, there's no point hanging on to it. There's nothing to be gained. Most sane people don't die for a lie. Third piece of evidence that points to the truth of it is just if you look at these guys in the, in the eyewitness accounts, these guys after Jesus died, they come out of Good Friday not going, oh, I can't wait for Sunday. That's what we do. Good Friday gets sad, but Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. Some, you know, we've got something to look forward to. They had nothing. Their Lord, their leader is dead, buried, done. They have no anticipation of resurrection, so that's it. This is over. I'm going to go back to fishing. Or at the most, and you see this in some of the uprisings in first century Judaism, some of the, 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 the zealots that got together to try and overthrow the Romans, they would have leaders that they thought there was a Messiah. Those guys would get their heads chopped off by the Romans or crucified or killed. The Romans never lose, very rarely. Uh, what happened was they didn't say, well, at least in three days he's coming back. No, they just got the next guy to be the leader. Who's next in line? These guys did none of those things. They weren't looking for another leader. They certainly didn't look to Peter, the guy who just denied this Jesus three times. He was a mess. We have no one. They were utterly despondent, utterly despairing. This is done. And yet, they go from utter despair, their whole life in ruins, to a couple of days later, leading a movement that would change the world far more powerful and profound than any other movement in human history. How do you account for that? Well, one good way of accounting for it is that it's true. What they saw, what they heard, what they experienced of the risen Lord Jesus actually is historical fact. This is why John speaks like this. He speaks not only about belief, but about experience, about senses, about seeing and touching and hearing. Like just after the, the, the passage that Graham read this morning in John 20, in verse 19 to 20, he says, uh, when it was still evening of that first day of the week, so this is the Sunday after Jesus dies, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. And then I just love how matter-of-fact this is. Jesus came. You know, the dead guy, the crucified guy. Jesus came, stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side 
So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And he says to the disciples, he's saying, me and my buddies. He was there. He's recalling what happened. We rejoiced when we saw him. Because up until that point, we thought it was done. And then later in his life, this is like, like 100 AD, like 70-something years after the fact, he writes to this little church that he loves, that he's been ministering to, seeing his friends get killed, murdered, executed. And he writes to them in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. He says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. That's what he calls Jesus. That life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and what we have heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He wants you to know he was there. This is legit. This is true. Now there are some, there are many, who doubt this. There are clergy, right, people in my job, the people with the, the dog collar, who in this city, who don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. They don't believe it's a historical fact because, you know, that would be a miracle. They say, it's still good, you know, you can, it's, I'm, uh, we, we still, we worship Jesus because we sort of worship the idea of Jesus. The idea that Jesus rose from the dead is like, it's more of a spiritual thing. It's more of a heart kind of, it's, he rose in our hearts and that inspires us. It's, it's kind of Bible inspo for today. Oh, I want to be sick. If Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, if his bones are really somewhere, kind of rotting away in Jerusalem somewhere, if he really don't only just kind of rise in our hearts, you know, if, if, if that's the case... The good news is we can just finish this now. Like, let's just go and, I don't know, as Paul says, eat, drink and be merry. Get out half an hour early. Don't come back next year or next week. Paul says it in this way, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. This is his take on that nonsense, right? He says, if Christ has not been raised, like really raised like actually raised, your faith is worthless. Your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep, that is those who have died in Christ, also have perished. They're gone. Just like Jesus, they're done. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, for a bit of inspiration for today, we should be pitied more than anyone.
I look at the resurrection of Jesus and I think about it rationally and reasonably and historically and I am encouraged by the truth of it. I'm emboldened by the truth of it. Here we have a real flesh and blood historical event that we can hang our faith on. There's some truth. What about goodness? What is the moral good of the resurrection? What good is it to anyone? It's striking to me that in those transcendentals, those things that exist as just part of the fabric of the universe, there's, there's, there's truth and goodness and beauty, but there isn't evil. There isn't wrong. And that's because evil and wrong and darkness and sin, all of these things are absurd. All of them are misshapen, misplaced. You should look at every account of suffering in the world, from wars in Ukraine to miscarried babies to cancerous um, devastation of bodies. You should look at those things and say, that's weird. That's absurd. That's wrong. Those things are not transcendental. In a sense, they're accidental. They're not part of God's perfect, true, good, beautiful plan for his world. They're imposters. So here's why the resurrection is good. Because the resurrection shows us, assures us, guarantees us that good defeats evil. Light overcomes darkness. It's no accident that all of the stories that human beings tell themselves are ones in which good overcomes evil. You try and write a movie script where the bad guy wins in the end, people will go mental. It's wrong. We, just, we can't deal with that. That's not how things should finish. It is happily ever after or nothing. And that's because we have this woven into our very, the very fibre of our being, goodness wins. Now, if there's no resurrection, then by all means, keep believing goodness wins and hope for it with all your heart and wish upon a star. It's like Walt Disney wants you to, but that's about as good as it gets. There is no guarantee. If all of this is just matter in motion, if all of this that's happening right now is just what meat on bones does at this temperature in this atmosphere, then there are no guarantees. Maybe Putin wins the war. Maybe we're just lucky that Hitler didn't. I don't know. Things, you, know, you look around, things are pretty dark. I got kids. I'm not feeling great about the future. There's a lot to be worried about. There are no guarantees that good will overcome evil unless capital G good already has overcome evil. Unless evil itself was crushed under the risen feet of a risen Lord. 
Then you got some guarantees. I love how Jesus said this because he said it to his disciples before the resurrection happened. He was so certain of his death, burial, and resurrection, the final victory of good over evil, that in John 16.33 he says he looks at his disciples as he looks at us. He sees us as I see you. I have a front seat to many of you to the darkest moments of your life. And I tremble when I think about some of the stuff that you guys have been through and continue to go through. He looks at his disciples, he looks at us, our human condition, and he says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. He says that before he's even done it. That's how assured he is. This battle's already over. I've conquered the world. I have conquered darkness. I have overcome evil. He does it in his resurrection. This is God saying, yes. Goodness wins. So if you look around at the world and, and if you look in, hey, listen, if you look into your own heart and see darkness and evil, if you look around the world, if you look within your heart, if you look at your past, past transgressions, past sins, past pain, both inflicted on others and inflicted upon you, if you see all of that and you think, this is wrong, then you're right. It is wrong. Now, I don't know how long I've been going here, but I... I, I, Let me just... Let me just say something of my own experience, and this is not... This is not the quintessential painful experience or experience of darkness. You have your own and your own are valid no matter what they are. They're valid. But this past week on Wednesday, it was was the anniversary, 33 years since my mum died of cancer. And every time that comes around and all of the days between, it makes me think about the wrongness of darkness. And I wrote a little thing at Mother's Day last year. I really just wrote it for myself, but it got picked up by a couple of um, online things. And I just, I, I'm going to read just a little bit of it to you, okay? And I, and I hope it's not self-indulgent. And I don't like, I, I, don't, know, I, don't, I don't know what you make of this, but here's, here's the experience that I've had of this I'm thinking back to the, to the day it happened. It's 4 a.m. in 1989. And three small boys, too small by far, are being roused. Mummy has gone to be with Jesus. Give her one last kiss. We gather at her bedside and I hoist myself up to the safest place in my universe. I gaze at her with 
while clinging to bed sheets. Her skin has sunk around the cheekbones that made her striking. Dark rings encircle eyes that once twinkled with an intelligence that was sharp but never cutting. Her chest, stationary. Her lungs, robbed of the ability to harvest wind, life from the wind. Her lips are sealed. I kiss them as I have done 10,000 times before, but this is different. For the first time in my experience, an expression of affection goes utterly unanswered, perfectly unreciprocated. She's present, but she's not here. I'm kissing a mock-up, a figurine, a forgery. As I write this, my outrage kindles. I want to run back into that room and represent myself. I beg your pardon? How can you ask an eight-year-old to give his mum one last kiss? You might as well ask him to take one last breath. This is all wrong. There's been some kind of mistake. Let me talk to the manager. One week after the fact and mum is in a box being lowered into a hole. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. At the funeral, I read a poem called God's Gifts. That was the worst church service I've been to, and I've been to one where they handed out tambourines. And it was quick, over way too fast to work out what on earth was happening. We're just going to dig a hole in the ground and leave her there? Has anyone thought this through? One month later, and it's Mother's Day, I can't form the word mum in my mouth because it hurts too much. The edges are sharp and they dig into the permanent lump in my throat. At school we line up for the Mother's Day stall. 50 cents will get you some potpourri and a picture frame. I line up for nothing. There's no express aisle for the motherless. This is all wrong. She never should have died and I'll never get over it. Some might say they are the ramblings of a mentally unwell person. But it's actually true, none of it's affected. I'll never get over it. That's because it's wrong. And actually my Christian faith reaffirms my sense that it's wrong. Goodness is meant to reign on the earth. And the resurrection of Jesus gives us a little window into the kind of goodness that will reign on the earth. The resurrection of Jesus is a snapshot in time, interrupted and punctuated by thousands of years of suffering and pain and wrongness, but a snapshot of what will be and what should be and in some sense what already is. If the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus has begun something that he will finish. He's ushering in a new creation. Darkness really has been defeated.
That's what makes the resurrection good. We get this insight. Again, you've got John. He's, he survived all of these attempts on his life. He's not one of the only old men alive at this point. He's on Patmos and kind of like as a gift to him and a gift to us, God gives him this sort of window, picture into what I believe is kind of like a whole bunch of events that are going to happen in the very near future and then some that are going to happen at the end of time. And in that picture, he gives us this triumphant, victorious image of what it means for Jesus to have really been raised from the dead, what it ushers in. So in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 to 4, he says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. Just like the book said, the kid's book said. God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things that absurd time when evil and injustice existed on the earth, those previous things have passed away. They're dead. They're defeated. And the guarantee we have for all of this is the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Truth, goodness, beauty. I'll be quick. Jesus' resurrection is a foreshadowing it's meant to be like a little insight into the future for us. Jesus' resurrection is the most beautiful thing that's ever happened on the face of the earth. Everything beautiful that you experience, all of the good gifts that God gives us, a beautiful wife or a beautiful husband, beautiful children, beautiful sunsets, beautiful food, beautiful autumn weather, all of this beauty is an imperfect echo of the truly beautiful Lord Jesus. He is beauty personified. Him in his resurrection is the guarantee that the beauty that we experience now, that is here and then gone, that is here and then expires, that is here and then is replaced... that that beauty is coming back for us and that there will be a day when that beauty will never cease. The best of beauty that we can experience now is a wonderful gift, but it is incomplete. It is impermanent. I, I felt this last night because last night, I don't know if you are out and about last night, but it was the most beautiful evening of all time. It was just like the exact right temperature. There was just a slight breeze that was making sure it wasn't too hot or stuffy. Everything was just lovely last night. And I was out in our street pretending I was a kid. 
with my kids and the other kids in the street, and we were just going, the kids were on the bikes, and I was on my skateboard, and it was like I was 15 again. Just cruising around, the sun was going down, then the sun did go down, and then it got dark enough that I couldn't see the rock that was on the road, and then I hit that rock, and my skateboard disappeared into the night, and I nearly died. And that's our experience of beauty right now. It's beautiful, it's meaningful, it's rich, and it's impermanent. Everything we experience here that's good and beautiful and true is an imperfect echo of that which is yet to come. The resurrection is the guarantee both of the true truth, the real goodness, the lasting beauty of our Lord Jesus and of the new creation that he's inviting us into. That's why he wants you to be happy this morning. That's why he wants you to celebrate. It is finished. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you haven't left us to speculation You haven't left us to imagination, but you have shown us in revelation the truth and goodness and beauty of the death, burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And so this Easter, we ask you, please stir up in our hearts the kind of true joy, the real experience of happiness that you want us to have. This is our greatest day. May we rejoice and be glad in it. Pray in Jesus' name.